the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite, i.e. radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots, and I am joined by my co-host, Don Dix, uh, which act for America in Corona. And... Um, don't tell 80% of Californians, but I think there was an election this week. Yeah, they were they were either caught snoozing or they're very excited about the prospect of only being able to use 55 gallons of water a day starting in the year 2022 or something like that. Or they're excited about the higher gas taxes or they're excited about, you know, cap and trade and what that's going to do for energy costs because they certainly are not paying attention. Yeah, to sort, and I help us sort this out and what the election portends and means and its significance, if any, is Tom Del Beccaro. He was the former chair of the California Republican Party when it was still the second place party in California. Now it's now fallen into third place behind decline to state. And... Um, Senate candidate. Senate, Senate, Senate candidate. Senate candidate in, 20, in 2016. Yep. When, when uh, just like this time, you know, all, you know, all these plethora of Senate candidates, if you just had one... He would have made the second round. Anyways, welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, guys. Great to hear your voice. Glad to be back on. And uh, did you guys get, did the tsunami hit you guys down there? Because it was pretty dry up here. Yeah, it was pretty dry down here. I don't know exactly what people are thinking, but um, we sure would like to know why, from your perspective, what happened happened. Yeah, let's dive right into it. And uh, a little bit of background. Of course, about six months ago, seven months ago, the Democrats assured us that there would be a big blue wave. There'd be a backlash against Trump for his policies. Latinos were angry. Voters were angry. And they weren't going to let him know. Now, of course, historically, in the, in the television era, ever since Eisenhower, the president's party has lost seats in the House in the first midterm. Eight years ago, Obama lost 63 seats. Only once has the president's party not lost in the midterms. And that was in uh, just after the election after 9-11 when the part when this country was still united. And so it's not really uh, something that we could put too much stock in. So they convinced everyone that there was going to be this big blue wave. And in the uh, start of the year, the media polls showed the generic congressional ballot, and what that means is just if you're going to vote for a Republican or a Democrat this fall, showed the Democrats with a big lead. And so there was this constant drumbeat of, of what was going to happen. And then we have this huge California primary, and the Democrats had said, look, there are seven House seats that, that we're targeting, and those seven House seats all went, those districts all voted for Hillary, and that's, how, and that's how we think we can take back the House, by taking some of these seats back. And, of course, as you guys will know, California was supposed to be the center of resistance, right? The Attorney General has filed some 30-something lawsuits 
everybody was angry. So if the blue wave was going to hit anywhere they said, it's going to hit in California. But as I say in my op-ed that's, that, that's in the Washington Examiner right now, well, something happened on the way to the beach. The wave didn't hit. And the answer is a variety of things, but something very important, of course, is that the economy is doing so well. Right. That's number one. Number two, the Democrats are divided. And this isn't unusual. Normally what happens after a party loses the White House is they took a couple, three years to figure out what their new message is and who their new leader is. So they're suffering from that. But also something very important, which is the Democrats are complacent in California. And what I mean by that is they believe that it's inevitable that Dianne Feinstein will win re-election. Right. That it's inevitable that Gavin Newsom will be the governor. Well, if something's inevitable in politics, interest for that winning side tends to wane. And what we saw last Tuesday was the Democrats really weren't that energetic and the Republicans in the seats we mentioned happened to be more energetic. In fact, in six of the seven seats, the Republican vote combined, all the candidates, outdid the Democrat vote because the Republicans care about some issues, the anti-resistance. They care about the sanctuary state issue. And they care about the gas tax issue. In fact, one of the biggest stories of the primary, does, which is being ignored nationally, of course, is what? That they recalled a sitting Democrat state senator and replaced him with a Republican senator. Mm-hmm. And so in those seats, it turns out that it's the Republicans with the motivation, not the Democrats. And that has an impact this fall. Because if the Democrats still think Gavin's a shoo-in, and they do, if they still think, and and this is true, that Diane Feinstein's a shoo-in, and she is, then they're not going to come out this fall either. And their yellow brick road to, to taking over the House suddenly disappears in the woods, and they're lost again. Well, I think another factor is that their side has been almost entirely based on rage and h- hatred of Donald Trump. And it's hard to keep yourself and it's hard to keep other people in a constant state of rage and hatred for two years. You're right. And, and it's irrelevant to many actual voters. The independents, by definition, dislike the parties or at least don't like them enough to register. They don't like the partisanship. And so since the left is only an anti-party, and by the way, eight years ago, the Republicans were just an anti-party, but since they don't have an agenda for their own, and the, meaning the Democrats, and the Republican agenda is working, last, last week we saw the highest ever jobs opening ever posted, 6.7 million in American history. That means they can't find enough workers. And when you can't find enough workers, that means wages are rising. And sure enough, the NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Business, had the highest ever response rate to companies that were going to raise wages, something like 36%. That's a staggering number. That's important because it also tells you that the economy and wages are still on the way up. It hasn't crested. And it's going to go straight through November. And so... What's November about in California? It's going to be about the gas tax, 
It's going to be the fact that Dianne Feinstein's going to win re-election. So why come out? And nationally, independents are happy. That's why the con- the generic congressional ballot is now tied, which is a terrible sign for Democrats because they there's more Democrats registered in America than Republicans. In, uh, you know, months ago I was on your show, and uh, my initial projections were or that I thought the Republicans could pick up Senate seats in the Senate, and that they were they weren't going to lose the House. They might even pick up a seat or two. Then in March I got kind of worried. I admit it. But now I don't see how they win the House, and I still think they can pin up, pick up Senate seats. Well, part of that I mean, work. Republicans pick them up. And the Dems don't take the House. I think part of that worry was justified. I mean, all we saw around this, the country were, uh, you know, Democrats picking off some key races. And so it kind of added, I think, a little uh, validity to this uh, blue wave because, of course, they trumpeted it. Blew it out of proportion, really. Um, but now that we sit back and we look at the results from this uh from this this primary here in California, especially the way that you look at it through your lens of experience of running, uh, gosh knows how many elections and seeing how things play out before and after, um, yeah, these are these are uh, great observations. Uh, we need to take a real quick break, um, and maybe we can get into some specific races. Get your analysis of the uh, big uh, headline race, the governor's race, and maybe some of the other things that are unfolding here. Tom Del Bacaro, former party chair and former Senate candidate, uh, here with us to do a little election post analysis uh, here on the United IE Show. We'll be back after a break from our sponsor, Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital. Corporation, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, both residential and commercial. Um, back after this. Hey, Larry Elder here. Now, if you're a homeowner thinking about refinancing or you'd like to be a homeowner and aren't sure where to start, call my friend Ed Hoffman at Wholesale Capital Corporation. Rates are great right now, and from what Ed tells me, there are a lot of great opportunities out there in real estate. You need a lender you can count on, and I can vouch for Ed. He'll deal with you straight and advise you like you're part of the family. Just give Ed a call at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. I know, Ed, he's a good guy who'll talk to you like a friend and won't make you feel like you've just walked into a shark tank. Now's the time to buy or refinance. Give my friend Ed Hoffman a call at Wholesale Capital Corporation. Again, 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or visit him online, wccloans.com. 855-640-2020. AM 590, the answer. This is Assemblywoman Melissa Melendez urging you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to the Unite Inland Empire radio program, the radio show for the most important political office in the entire country. You guys, our listeners, the people we call private citizens who hold all political power. We just need to learn how to teach everybody to reclaim it. Tom Del Beccaro, former party chair for the GOP here in California and state Senate candidate, uh, I'm sorry, U.S. Senate candidate, is here with us. Uh, Tom, headline race, you know, it was uh, two Republicans. Um, How much did the Trump and Gingrich uh, endorsements lift John Cox? I think enormously. But before we get to that, can I just do two more data points on on the election? Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely, absolutely. 
The number is, I think, around 21% of the registered voters voted. Now, by the time they do absentees and all of that, it'll probably rise to around 24, maybe 25%. That's anything but a wave. That's not a lot of people. At the start of the year, the Democrats said this wave was going to occur, and they got all of these people to run for these congressional seats because they were so excited, they thought the wave was coming, and that they would get multiple people in the fall election in the top two format. And all of those campaigns had their own individuals calling Democrats saying, hey, come support my candidate. They had two Latinos, famous Latinos, Kevin DeLeon, former Senate leader in Sacramento for the Democrats. They had Antonio Villaraigosa, former L.A. mayor, nationally known. All of these reasons where they thought the get out the vote would be huge, and it didn't happen. And that is very telling. And I think it's, again, it relates to this. A, they oversold the resistance. B, they didn't realize how well the economy would be doing. And C, (laughs) it turns out that independent voters and Republicans and some Democrats like the current direction. Now, John Cox, how did he do it? John Cox got in the top two because he put a lot of his own money in early and was communicating with voters. He embraced the tax issue, which is a great issue for Republicans to embrace. Also, or the next step, and this was critical, he picked up the endorsement of Newt Gingrich. That gave him credibility nationwide. When Republicans hear that Newt Gingrich likes a particular candidate, that's generally a good thing. And then, of course, as you know, within about a month ago, he came out with the Donald Trump endorsement, which says that, okay, I find this guy is part of the solution, not part of the problem. And the last thing that happened, which is just extraordinary, is that Gavin Newsom raised his status, told Republicans, I got a beautiful, glossy mailer. I don't know if you did. Uh, four, uh, eight pages, saying the best quotes of John Cox that any Republican would love. Something, One of them saying that the Second Amendment isn't a suggestion. Right. <laughs> it's in the Constitution. Yep. And so if you're a Republican and you get this, you think, well, I agree with that. And so when you combine all of those things, and that that's how he got in the polls early and stayed there and wound up being there in the end, in my view, at least. Let me ask you a question, a follow-up question to that. How important are the passionate grassroots supporters of Travis Allen in helping John Cox in November? Does there need does that does that rift need to heal in order to push John Cox over the finish line? Well, if, if he, right now, twenty-five point five percent of California voters, nineteen million of them are registered Republican. Their approval rating for Trump is above 80%. If John Cox picks up all of those voters, he he has a chance. But that's a tall task. He has zero chance if the Travis Allen supporters don't come out and push him over the top. Mm. Zero. You need a completely unified and strong effort in order to, to work. And and if Cal, if California Republicans want to make a difference, look, we have it would be great to elect an attorney general instead of this bum Becerra that 
that there is now. Right. What if we had a Secretary of State that actually cleaned up the uh, the voter rolls? What if we had a controller that actually audited something? What if we had a treasurer that wasn't just a rubber stamp? These are all statewide offices in which Republicans have someone on the ballot. And we've got to get someone in those seats if we expect to participate going forward. Well, Travis, Travis Allen had something that was really extraordinary in politics, is the, the, the ability to motivate those people in the grassroots. So people would be out there hosting their own rallies, making their own signs, and paying for that, and posting them out around, and uh, standing on freeway overpasses, waving Travis Allen signs. And about the only other politician in the country that I know that can generate that kind of loyalty and enthusiasm is Donald Trump. But... For that was that was worth nine point seven percent of the vote, for for tra- for which Travis Allen got. So that's that's great to have that, and you want that, but it, especially in California, it's not going to be enough. Didn't do it. No, there's seventeen media markets. That's an insane amount. No other state has more than six, and so it takes a lot of money. That's just what it is at the end of the day. Nevertheless, it's a it's very valuable to have volunteers that it was volunteers that carried bill Feynman. but he also put in 10 they also raised and spent 10 million dollars so at the end of the day the size of california remains prohibitive for the minority party uh but nevertheless you got to have both you got to have the grassroots and they got to have the, the the national republicans and conservatives have to take an interest in california because the more lopsided California becomes, the easier it is for money to go to the Democrats outside the state. And we don't want that. Now, is combined Cox and Allen, and then we'll talk about this in our, in our next segment, but combined Cox and Allen got just a little under 36% of the vote in which there was lackluster Democrat turnout and a higher percentage of the Republicans voted than did the Democrats. We're going to, in our next segment, we're going to ask you the question, is there a path to 50% plus one for John Cox in November after this word from Ed Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, both residential and commercial. Back after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation and host of the main event, which airs every weekend here on AM590, The Answer. I'm proud to be a part of the effort to make America great again, not just by supporting this station and the conservative movement, but also by helping people achieve the American dream of homeownership. Whether you're looking to achieve that dream and you need financing, or you already own a home and you're considering refinancing your mortgage in order to lower your payment, shorten your term, or pay off high-interest debt, or if you're over 62 and want to look into that great financing tool known as a reverse mortgage, Call me at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, toll free day or night, 855-640-2020. I'll give you all your options, answer all your questions, and walk you through the process. And don't forget to listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturdays at 10 a.m. and 9 p.m., Sundays at 8 a.m., right here on AM 590, The Answer. Licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate. Broker license number 01147747. And California Finance Lenders license number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB number 096199. AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. We are pleased to have Tom Del Beccaro on the line, helping us unpack and analyze the election results. And we're just talking about is that combined, Travis Allen and John Cox got just a little under 36% of the vote in which there was a Democrat undervote and a Republican 
over or higher percentages of Republicans voted than Democrats. Do you think there's a path to 50% plus one for John Cox? Well, you know, you're talking to a guy who's a New York Jets fan who, who bet 50 cents in 1969 on, uh, on the Jets straight up over the Colts and they were 17-point underdogs. So I believe in the underdog. The question is, what's the path? And in order to win, a number of things have to happen. Number one, the truth about Gavin Newsom needs to come out. He's not a good guy. He's a flashy guy, right. he's a good-looking guy, but he's got issues. That's number one. Number two, John Cox has to pick two issues that will resonate. He's got an easy one, and that is the gas tax repeal. Gavin Newsom's not for it. John Cox is. Taxes are good for Republicans to run on. Number three, he, John Cox needs, needs to make an issue of San Francisco. Don't let California become San Francisco. San Francisco is a mess right now. Mm-hmm. I don't even like driving my car and leaving it there. I've had to find a garage that has security agents full-time because break-ins are so bad. The, the, the use of needles and, and homelessness, it's terrible. So he's got to make the governor's race a referendum on San Francisco politics. You remember not long ago when there was the talk about San Francisco, uh, California values or San Francisco values that he has to do that last but not least. Well, number four, he has to create a grassroots organization and number five, he has to get national interest in upsetting Gavin Newsom. Hmm. That's uh, that, that seems like a pretty straightforward battle plan, doesn't it? <laughs> well, Look, politics is about uh, motivating voters and getting them, uh, or collecting voters and getting them to the polls. Voters are attracted to issues. Getting them to the polls means you've got to rub it the right way. And look, the gas tax repeal is great. It's a good, that crosses party lines. Turn it, something like, you know, I, I know you guys know this, but California politics changed this year. And it changed not because of what the politicians did, but because of what a couple of bike riders did, taking their GoPro camera on the homeless trail in Orange County. That made it impossible to ignore what was going on Mm. uh, in California. Republicans need to learn that lesson. People are moved by video and the visual, not just the audio. And if they can make this upcoming election, John Cox should grab every possible picture he can in San Francisco and says, is is this what you want? In terms of issues, how about also the Democrats would rather squander water bond money instead of building water storage and force Uh you to take five-minute showers? Greg, I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Because you know, I put together a comprehensive water plan for California. And there is no question that this 50 gallons a day thing, you know, this is ridiculous. The politics of um, rationing is the politics of failure. Australia has done it. Israel has done it. Singapore has done it. California should be a leader. And so John Cox can say, instead of surrendering, why don't we lead? And that's a very optimistic 
you know, he's against the tax, gas tax, but he's optimistic about our growth future, and we should be the leaders of water technology, not surrendering to the politics of rationing. Israel is. Israel figured it out. Well, it's really did, and Singapore has done it for years. Yep. It's easy to do, and it would be the biggest jobs program in California history if we built catchment uh, drains on freeways. And what that means is you, you catch the water falling on the freeways and, and buildings, and you direct it to recycling plants. That's how Singapore succeeded. It's easy to do, but this is California. They don't want to do the right thing. They want to do the environmental thing. Boy, so much more to ask you. SB 54, very quickly, is that issue played out, or does that continue to pay dividends across the state in terms of getting people motivated and fired up? Look, there's a number of issues like that. The sanctuary state issue will help people uh, in these congressional races because it's part of the anti-resistance. The the crime issue will help uh, in California uh, in those issues because crime is on the rise. These are hot-button issues and crossover, crime, water, taxes, those are good issues for Republicans. Sounds like Travis Allen's platform, but that is all the time we have for this half hour. Thank you, Tom, for joining us and giving us perspective. And we're going to have uh, the Deputy Director of Numbers USA in our second half talking about what the heck are the Republicans doing with amnesty in Washington. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thanks so much, you guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Back with more on the Unite IE Radio Show after the break. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office. And now we're going to be talking about what Ann Coulter calls the most important issue, immigration, because it determines all other issues. And we are so pleased to be joined by Chris Shemolensky, the deputy director of Numbers USA, one of the preeminent pro-American, pro-American worker, let's enforce our immigration laws, what a concept, organizations in the country numbers usa and welcome to the welcome to the show uh, chris thanks for having me so obviously what is driving and why we reached out to you this week to be on the show immigration is always an important issue is once again just as factors are fa- turning in favor of the republicans for this coming election they had the republicans have a great idea let's anger alienate and demotivate our voters by passing amnesty what the heck is going on back there? <laughs> yeah, uh, who knows? But uh, essentially what you've got is, is about 20, 2025. Um, I, I guess, you know, the news media is, is, is labeling them as moderate Republicans. Um, really, they're pro-amnesty Republicans, anti-American worker Republicans, who feel for one reason or another that they need to, to, to be more proactive on passing a DACA amnesty in order to win re-election in the fall. They are in tight election races. Um, a few of them are retiring, so they don't really care anymore. They don't have to face the voters anymore um, and are probably looking at jobs on, on K Street as future lobbyists. Um, but you have these 2025 Republicans that have forced a discharge petition that all but one Democrat has signed. And again, you've got about 22, 23 Republicans who have signed it. So if it just gets two or three more signatures, it reaches 218, and it forces four votes on four different immigration bills, um, one of which would be H.R. 4760, introduced by Representative Bob Goodlatte, 
which Numbers USA has actually endorsed as introduced. There's been rumors about possible changes to the good lap bill, um, and we'll just we'll, we'll follow that closely. But in its in its current state, we do endorse that legislation. But it would also offer a vote on the Dream Act. Um, it would offer a vote on a, a proposal of Paul Ryan's choosing, which we believe would be similar to the Senate proposal that the Senate voted on back in February that was endorsed by President Trump. And then the fourth one would be a quote-unquote bipartisan bill that's been introduced by Will Hurd of Texas and Pete Aguilar of, of California, which would uh, include a DACA amnesty um, in exchange for nothing. There would be no border security. There would be no E-Verify, no reductions in legal immigration. All it would do, quite simply, is grant amnesty to about 1.8 million DACA-eligible illegal aliens and require a study on the effectiveness of border security on illegal immigration. That's the proposal that would most likely come out of this discharge petition if the discharge petition leaders are successful. Um, So because they have the support from almost all of the Democrats, GOP leadership in the House is forced to do something because they're not willing to use their... Uh, authoritative power to just withhold campaign funds from these members. They're not willing to punish them with committees, use any sort of their, their, their role as leaders to punish these folks for signing the discharge petition. They're just trying to find a way to work around the petition. And the only way the petition that signers have offered is let's have a floor vote on DACA. So they're trying to put together some sort of a compromise bill that they can get both the House Freedom Caucus, which is, uh, pretty much the most conservative wing of the Republican Party and these pro-amnesty Republicans that they can all agree on. And as you can imagine, it's not going very well. They held a meeting this morning to try to present to the entire Republican conference in the House. Um, so far, the, the current state of negotiations, they said they're still far apart, but there are areas of negotiation. And um, again, they need about two or three more signers on the discharge petition in order for the discharge petition to go through. And as of right now, potential discharge petition signers are giving leadership about five more days to try to come up with a compromise bill before they sign the petition and ultimately force the floor votes on these bad amnesty bills. You know, I just I, I want to set the table a little bit for listeners that may not be intimately familiar with some of the nomenclature and the procedures sure. in Washington, D.C., and I'm raising my hand because I'm one of them. So <laughs> can you can you give us a little bit of background about really the procedure that's unfolding? We all I've, I've, we keep hearing this term discharge petition, which obviously right. is code for. I mean, when they say cloture, that means nothing to the average person. Discharge <laughs> petition is right up there with words that mean nothing to the average Americans. So can you decode the process that's happening in con- in the House of Representatives right now. Absolutely. So what a discharge petition is, is in its, it, the technical description of it, is it discharges a bill from the committees and immediately brings it to the House floor for a vote. So the normal, so the, hang on right there. So the normal yeah, flow yeah. of laws or legislation, if you will, is is that it right. originates off of some group of uh, authors' desks, and it goes into a committee that is a committee that would typically be uh, associated with the nature of the bill. So if it's an immigration-related bill like this is, then it, right. would, it would come through a particular committee. Which one? 
House Judiciary Committee has jurisdiction over immigration. So, so it's the House Judiciary Committee that would normally be the conduit of a piece of legislation to go through and then they would vote on it refine it do whatever and then if it makes it through that with a majority vote right correct it has to get a majority vote through that that committee yes then it goes it goes to the house floor no 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 it, it is the speaker no. controls normally what goes on the house floor okay all right. Exactly. So, so there's the a, another wicket, another croquet wicket that it has to go through, which is the speaker. Yeah. It, well, it has. It actually has to go through two more channels. One of them being the speaker. Okay. And then the speaker sends it to the House Rules Committee, and the House Rules Committee has to has to define the rules of debate for when that bill reaches the floor, and then the House Rules Committee has to approve it. So it has to go through a few different channels, but in 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 every Congress, the Speaker typically puts um, members that the Speaker has under its finger in, in, in the Rules Committee. So everything that the Speaker wants to get to the floor ultimately gets to the floor because, in other words, the Speaker controls the Rules Committee. Gotcha. This was worth the price of admission, actually, this explanation, because I don't think most people out there really understand how stuff flows through yeah. uh, Congress in order to get to a place to where it gets voted on. And what you said, yeah, this is you know this is school of rock type stuff, right? What you said earlier was real important. Is that the speaker has a lot of power over the members, campaign contributions, committee assignments, and in this case, these the pro amnesty Republicans pushing this have gotten a wink and a nod from Speaker Ryan, who has said, you know, don't do that, tisk tisk tisk, but has done absolutely nothing. They've imposed zero price on any of them for pushing amnesty because Ryan has a long history of supporting right. amnesty. Right. So, so the point of the discharge petition, because the Speaker controls this entire flow, um, well, it doesn't control the entire flow. Actually, the, the chairman of the committees can decide um, what legislation they mark up. So Bob Goodlatte is the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He could actually mark up his own bill if he were to choose to do so. He has yet to do so. So what a discharge petition does is it's a tool that's typically used by the party in the minority to try to force a vote on a bill that either a committee chairman or the Speaker of the House is not pushing for. So in this case, you would normally have, you know, the Democrats pushing for, and the Democrats have started about a dozen discharge petitions during this Congress to try to force four votes on legislation that's been brought up. Of course, no Republicans have signed the discharge petition. But in this case, the discharge petition was started by Republicans, Mm. And 23 Republicans have already signed the discharge petition. All the Democrats then join on because the Republicans are promising them a vote on the DREAM Act through this discharge petition process. So all the Democrats are now on board with it, and now you're up to 215 signatures on the petition. It needs 218. It needs a simple majority of House members to sign the petition. Let's take a break here for our word from our sponsor, and we'll come back. We'll unpack what DACA amnesty really means, as well as the overall picture of what's going on with immigration in this country after this word from All-Star Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of wreck and roll. Back after this. 
When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. This is Senator Mike Morrell asking you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday at 4 o'clock on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to the United Inland Empire radio program, the radio show for the most important political office in the country. You guys who are listening to us, the private citizen. We have on the phone right now Chris Shemolinsky. He is the uh, Grand Deputy Exalted Director. Imperial Poobah of Numbers USA. Uh, if you want to learn more about this organization, it's numbersusa.com. I encourage everybody who's listening that uh, on the immigration issue, there's a couple of standout organizations that are your source for decoding what's happening in the immigration world. And as Greg said in the first half, as Ann Coulter uh, said in her book, that immigration is the issue that controls all other issues. I agree with that. And Chris, we just spent the first segment sort of decoding this process that's unfolding in Congress, in the House of Representatives right now, that is making headlines. Uh, the headlines are basically amnesty of two more Republicans, discharge petition. You did a very good job of explaining that. Now, what is at stake here? There, uh, You mentioned there's four different possibilities. Uh, the last one you said that was... Uh, being authored by someone in our backyard, Pete Aguilar, who is facing a challenge by uh, Sean Flynn, an economics professor, by the way, who specializes in healthcare uh, finance, if you want to put it that way, in the uh, in that industry. So, um, what's great about Sean is he actually did a very good, had a very good showing against Pete here in the primary that happened here on Tuesday. Um, but Pete Aguilar, who is a congressman in our backyard, has authored what you referred to as, as roughly a bipartisan uh, DACA amnesty in exchange for nothing. So what does DACA amnesty mean to us in America? Right. So the DACA amnesty is the executive amnesty that was first announced by President Obama back in 2012. So this did not go through Congress. Again, this was done executively through uh, through executive action. And, and essentially what he did was he, he defined a group of illegal aliens as uh, folks who had entered the country prior to 2000 or prior to 2007, but had been continuously in the country from 2007 to 2016, 2012, mm-hmm. um, had entered the country under the age of 16 had attended high school and were either in college or were working, it offered them uh, deferred action, which meant they could not be deported, even Mm -hmm. though they were in the country illegally, and it gave them work permits so they could actually work in the country legally. Um, So that impacted so far about 800,000 illegal aliens have taken advantage of the DACA program since President President Obama first announced it back in 2012. Now, President Trump campaigned on ending the DACA amnesty, and he finally made good on that promise back in September of 20, 
2017 mm-hmm. um, when he announced an end to the DACA program. But it's been challenged by by uh, several different states and and other groups um, have have challenged the legality of Trump's ending of the DACA program. And so far, the courts have ruled that. The, the, the administration has had to reinstate the DACA program. So the DACA program is actually still going, and it's working its way through the court system, and all likelihood the Supreme Court is going to rule on the legality of DACA um, probably sometime, probably right around this time next year when, when they rule in their next session. They're going to hear the case in their next session. Um, but, but there are a couple of lawsuits out there that have not been heard yet that challenge both the legality of DACA from the perspective that, of ending the program. For example, the state of Texas, joined with, with five or six other states, is, is, is suing to end the DACA program. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, that, that'll go through the courts probably over the, net, over the summertime, and we'll, I expect we'll get a ruling on that probably heading into the fall. Um, that could potentially end the program as well. Um, but in essence, since Trump announced an end to the program, there's been a push to make the program permanent, make the DACA amnesty permanent. So that's that's what we're facing. That's the quote-unquote urgency that Congress is under to address the situation. And again, what you have is you have these 20 to 25 Republicans that are in toss-up districts, and they think that pushing for a DACA amnesty, because there is polling that shows that it is a, it is popular amongst the American people, um, so, so they think that pushing for taking a leadership role and forcing their leadership, challenging their leadership to have a vote on DACA will help them at the polls come November. Yeah, but there's no, the polls are deceptive. No one who vote determines, no one for whom amnesty determines their vote will vote for a Republican. And, but on the other hand, there's a lot of people, conservatives, that will not vote for a Republican that votes for amnesty. The liberals and the proponents of DACA paint this image of this innocent child who was two years old, brought to America, doesn't speak Spanish or their original language, is now was class valedictorian, is now pre-med at in at Harvard, going to going to going to medical school, and these are these they're all be, you know, these people are all stars. They're better than Americans. They don't commit crimes. What's the true picture of the DACA illegal immigrant population? Yeah, the, the, the true picture, and, and there's really no official government data on that because we've never collected information, but there have been some informal polls done, um, including the, the Pew Hispanic Center has done some, some informing poll, informal polling of, of DACA recipients, and they've had to rely on self-identification to try to find this. But in, other, in essence, what they found is that most of them are just high school graduates um, who, who tend to be less educated than, than American citizens and tend to hold, you know, hourly wage type jobs. They're working at, you know, they're working at Starbucks, they're working at Chick-fil-A or, or Carl Jr., something like that. They're not, you know, they're not finding the next cure to cancer. They're not on the front lines of the military, um, it, which is which is the portrait that, that the DACA amnesty supporters would, would want you to believe, is that they're all valedictorians, they all graduated tops in their class, you know, they all went to the United States Air Force Academy and are the future, the future of America. They're just, you know, pretty run-of-the-mill, average, everyday people. Um, that that yes, they 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 were brought here illegally by their parents long ago, and yes, there is some there is some support from from American voters to 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 see these 
you know, to allow them to stay in the country. But what those voters also want is they want legal immigration reduced. They want an end to illegal immigration by requiring E-Verify and by uh, beefing up border security. And, and they'd like to see construction of, of some border fencing or even a wall along the southern border. They'd like to see changes in our immigration system in exchange for a DACA amnesty. They just don't want to give a DACA amnesty with, no, with nothing in return. And that's essentially what these 20 to 25 Republicans are, are offering, mm. a, a, a no-strings, clean amnesty bill. Wow. There's, there's also another issue that's it's a huge that no one really talks about very much is, let's say you pass a DACA amnesty. There's going, and they say, well, it's going to be 1 million, it's going to be 2 million, it's going to be 1.8 million, Donald Trump said. But it's going to be many times more that as every illegal immigrant in the country applies for DACA amnesty with forged documents, the Democrat apparatchiks in the bureaucracy are likely to rubber stamp them, and any that don't get approved by the bureaucracy will engage in years of litigation. So it's going to effectively shut down all interior enforcement of immigration laws. Yeah, that's, you know, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, and anybody who does challenge a decision, if they're rejected through the amnesty process, you know, they're not going to be forced to leave. They're going to be allowed to stay in the United States while their decision is being heard. And we've already seen news articles since the DACA program was first initiated. There have been there have been news stories in, in major mainstream publications that have talked about some of the documents that DACA recipients have used to get their initial DACA approval. I mean, they've used receipts from, you know, their Xbox Live system. They've bought apps from the the, the Apple Store, the Apple App Store, and they've used those receipts as, as documentation that they were here in the country legally, or they've created, you know, homeschooling report cards to show that they, they wow. went to school. We're talking... So, uh, there's... We're go, ta- ahead. go ahead. Finish your thought. I was I was just going to say there's not exactly a high standard for what documents can be used to demonstrate, you know, how long you've been in the country for. Gotcha. We're talking to Chris Shimolinsky. He is with Numbers USA. And we want to take a quick break and get back with final thoughts on this very important topic after a break from our sponsor for this half hour. All-Star Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of rock and roll. Back up to this. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. Well, welcome back to United IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. We are pleased to have Chris Chemelinski, the deputy director of NumbersUSA.com, talking about what's going on in immigration and amnesty in Washington. And in addition to illegal immigration, tell us briefly about what is happening with legal immigration and what those numbers are. Sure. Well, the U.S. brings in about one million new legal immigrants every single year. And, and two programs that have had a lot of focus over the last couple of months are, are teen migration and visa lottery. And, and those two combined are driving uh, about two-thirds of all legal immigration. And what that is is that's um, when an immigrant comes to the United States, they can then not only sponsor their spouses and their minor children, which would be 
their nuclear family, they can also sponsor their non-nuclear family, extended family members, adult relatives. And that creates these endless chains of migration. And then we have about another 50,000 green cards, which is called the visa lottery, which we just raffle them off to, to foreign nationals uh, across the globe that, that enter their names into this lottery. Um, all of it equates to about 1 to 1.1 million new immigrants per year. The law of supply and demand applies to the labor market like every other market. There was a study about the effect of legal and illegal immigration on American workers by the National Academy of Scientists in 2016. Tell us about that. Sure. What that study found was that, uh, and and we we agree, too, you allow more workers in the country, it's going to grow the economy. Um, You know, there's there's not a whole lot you can debate on that. But the question is, how does it impact American workers? And what, what the study found was that it has no net impact so if you took all workers in America and averaged them all together, uh, you know, there's no net impacts on American workers, but there are winners and losers. And the losers are the less skilled American workers who tend to compete directly with new immigrants coming in because they tend to be less skilled. So they're losing out. And then the winners are, are the business owners themselves who tend to have higher profits because when you have more low-skilled workers in the country, you have you – have, uh, this surplus of labor for these low-skilled jobs and employers can keep wages down. And that's really what we've seen for some of these low-skilled workers over the last few decades, is their wages have been stagnant for, for two decades, and we're just starting to see some wage growth amongst uh, lower-skilled workers in the country. No wonder we need amnesty quickly. We, 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 can't, we certainly can't have American workers making more money. Tell us uh, what, what numbers USDA does. In addition to information, what else do you offer on your website and your Twitter feed and your Facebook in terms of advocacy and activism for immigration? Right. So we're a grassroots, we're a grassroots organization that, that also uh, we're a C3, which means we're an education and research foundation as well. So what we do is we, we basically follow the news every single day, try to try to analyze and decipher what's going on and communicate that to our grassroots network of about 9 million folks and try to communicate it to them in a way that they'll understand, just like what we've been trying to do over the last half hour. And we'll offer them action opportunities so they can contact their members of Congress. Um, we'll prepare uh, pre-written statements for them that they can then go in and edit, tweak, and, and, and personalize in any way that they want to. But they have the we, we provide them with their with an ability to contact their U.S. representative and their two U.S. senators, plus other elected officials when other issues arise, like some of like the sanctuary cities uh, law that was recently passed in California. Chris Shomolinsky, NumbersUSA.com. Go there. They've got a Facebook page with seven million followers. You can be one of them. Thank you for joining us on the United. I radio show. We will be back with another episode on Saturday at four o'clock. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.